The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show where two pastors from different generations talk about truth in today's culture. At the top of the show today, let's go ahead and spread this content by liking and sharing it and making sure that you're subscribed to our show. And for all of you on YouTube, hit the bell so you can be informed of all upcoming shows. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of the Lathia Bible Fellowship's online podcast network of shows called the VRM. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about ABF and our local church in Portland, Oregon. And now that all of that is said, I'm Pastor Josh, the senior pastor over at ABF, and your co-host for this show, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and we are... Uh, going to be continuing our discussion, that is we, being myself and Pastor Josh. What's up? We're going to be continuing our discussion in Second Thessalonians um, in the Christ Factor. Just the So last week we kind of uh, ended our discussion starting to get into the issue of uh, idleness and uh, let me just reread for you second thessalonians chapter 3 starting at verse 6 this is obviously an important issue because the apostle paul spends uh, several uh, paragraphs well not paragraphs but 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 several verses here uh, in his letter dealing with this issue so let me just start out at uh, at uh, starting in verse 6. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without praying, paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, no one who is unwilling to work shall eat. We hear that there are some among you who are idle and disruptive, They are not busy, they are busy bodies. And such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food that they eat. Okay, well that's pretty strong. Yeah. 
So let's let's talk just a little bit about um, the strength that is there, because basically what he is saying is is that um, evidently uh, in the church there at Thessalonica there were those people that were simply not uh, paying their way, and the Paul, the apostle Paul's approach first of all was to command them in the Lord. In other words, this is an imperative. If you look at the original language, the, 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 the we command you is an imperative. What it means is is that um, it's not just a it's not just a mild suggestion, but it's you will do this. Um, and, and so they are they are commanded to uh, to not be that way. More, more importantly, the admonition to the church, uh, when you read the first part of this, is that the churches do have nothing to do with those people. So not only did not only is the apostle Paul, you know, commanding uh, later in this passage those who are not uh, being productive uh, to be so, but he is saying to the church there in Thessalonica, they're not to hang out with these people. Yeah, the word. Um, the word here is atello or atelathai, okay. which means, actually, I might be reading that wrong. Stelathai, I think. It's stelathai. Um, it means basically to take precaution. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only found in one other place in scripture, which is Second Corinthians 8.20. Taking precaution so that no one will discredit, discredit us in our administration. Um, but specifically, it means to set or to um, arrange in a specific manner. So this, so the context of this is that you're trying to um, make sure that your that who you spend time with is specific. That it's not um, sort of. Uh, what would it be? Sloppy or lazy? Yeah, or whatever. yeah, I see what you're getting at. <clears throat> so when it says "keep away," that's the the term that's used. Keep away from every brother um, who leads an unruly life. It's like make sure that you are being very specific with who you interact with, specifically that they aren't being unruly. Right. And then he goes on to say that it's not like you didn't have an example. Right. But when we were with you. We worked hard, not that, not that we didn't have the right to expect, but when we were among you, we worked hard. We worked hard, we labored, we toiled, we paid our own way as in, so that we might be an example to you. And so in the same way, you know, there are two things which are, which are present here. The first idea is that those who are ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ to to the, to the body, those who are in responsible positions to uh, help with the body's growth. There is an expectation that the church has a responsibility towards them to be able to help them in order to, um, you know, in order that they might be equipped to to uh, take care of those utilitarian needs that are present that everybody has to deal with. But the Apostle Paul says, not that we didn't have expectation, you know, that uh, this was your responsibility, but 
nonetheless, we worked. Now, some of you may not know that the Apostle Paul was, uh, the the term is... Uh, the, well, it comes from the Apostle Paul. Right. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker. Literally, he was a tent maker. The, the term they use today is bivocational. Yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, the, the slang term, the within, slang term, the colloquial within term. Christendom is tent maker, and right. it comes from the Apostle Paul. Yeah, because he was physically a tent maker, so it's uh, and it's it's hard to describe to you the labor that's involved in making <laughs> in making tents by hand. But it's but that that's what he did. Is this where you tell us that one that you used to be a tent maker at some point? No, nope, no, nope, I've never, I've never <laughs> uh, skinned, I've never skinned an animal. And right, and, and those, uh, and that's the thing that's important to note is that tent making back then, um, you know, these tents they're not the types of tents that like we think now, and they're not made to fall apart. I mean, right. we're talking animal skins. Yeah, basically. we're talking we're talking leather animal skins. So he was probably a skilled leather worker. Right, right. So what so what what you what you have to do is you have to uh, you have to separate the skin from the animal, and then you take the skin, and it has to be cleaned. Yeah. So it has to be cleaned. So you have to take a, a razor or a sharp rock. In our case, we use a razor, but you have to take a a sharp rock, and you have to clean that until it's all clean. And then you uh, and then you soak it, and then you have to tie it up on a frame in order to let that dry out on that frame before it can be used. It's an arduous process. Yeah. So so that's uh, uh, and so then you know he would take those skins and he would uh, uh, sew tents and make make uh, make tents, and that was that's what he did in order to pay for. Um, for his way. Well, and that's that's not to say, though, that he didn't accept funds, but who he's talking to here in Thessalonica, he, he didn't. But he did accept funds occasionally. Occasionally, depending sure. on the church, de- Depending on the church body. Right. And he had a purpose specifically in Thessalonica for why he was not accepting funds, I'm guessing. Right. So, so but wherever, my point is, wherever he went... He involved himself in tent making in one fashion or another, from what we understand when we look at his history uh, as as an apostle. So he worked, and he worked because he wanted to set an example that the members of the church who participate in a local body also have a responsibility to work and to participate in that body in a productive fashion. And not to be idle. Mm-hmm. Now, the the issue that comes about then because of idleness um, means that you um, you're just basically uh, lazy. You just sit around and and do nothing. Or, as he says later, it's not that they're busy, but they're busy bodies, mm-hmm. meaning that they have more time on their hands uh, than they know what to do with, and so they get themselves in trouble. By sticking their noses into other people's business, and by uh, being disruptive in that process, and he he basically forbids that. He says, "No, that's not acceptable." In fact, those people who do this, they need to be commanded to stop it, and they need to be commanded to begin to be productive and pay their own way. You don't work, you don't eat. Yeah. 
Well, and this term, the term busybodies, like, is, I mean, it's an amalgam of terms. Like, literally, it means bodies that are busy, but nothing's actually happening. Right. Um, but he connects it to the concept of leading an undisciplined life. And undisciplined, uh, earlier, I think it was, we looked at the term unruly, like a long time ago. Yes, yes, we did. And uh, it's the same word. It's the same word as unruly there. So it's like a person who's out of ranks or disorderly. Like, basically, they're not doing anything with their life. And so they're just doing whatever with their life. And that leads them to this sense of laziness, right. really. So... And and it's it's particularly difficult because of the fact that remember that as a as a believer we should be in the process of uh, working towards holiness and associating ourselves with holiness. So there's always a process that we can be involved in in uh, in working within the community of faith, either to perfect our own position. And or my experience has been, at least in the years that I was actively pastoring, that um, that there's 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 lots of utilitarian needs that have to be taken care of within a local body. Uh, yeah. Church breaks down, things have to be fixed, things have to be cleaned, you know. And you say, well, why would you be involved in those type of activities? Because. Because, you know, you've got to remember that the church as it is represented, now we're kind of deviating a little bit, but the church as it is a representative in the community, um, there is a responsibility to, um, to keep the church in order. And when you are in a community and your church has broke, <laughs> broken windows all over and Things that you know, you ever seen doors that are kind of half keter and they're not they're not really setting like they're supposed to, and mm -hmm. the lawn needs to be mowed, and there's weeds all over in the flower gardens. If there's flower gardens, sure. I mean, if the church looks unkept, that is a poor witness. It's definitely yeah, it's definitely not a witness to order. I don't know if I would call it a poor witness. I think that's a cultural distinction. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll grant you that. Like, I think about John the Baptist, for instance. Like, that was a man who was known to be unkept. I, the church, of course, is... is well, no, no, he was not fashionable, Josh. He was not okay. unkept. Well, he that's was, why I say it's he, cultural. He wore, he wore coats of camel hair. He was unfashionable. And he <laughs> went around, he went around like a raving madman in the yeah. woods eating locusts and honey. Probably and didn't comb his hair. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, probably had his hair like all out and stuff. Yeah. I I don't think that, uh, I don't think that John, I don't think any scholar would say that John the Baptist he was would, kept. He would fit in with many people today. <laughs> so, yeah, I, but I, there is an element of there is an element of hospitality. I think that there is a minimum standard by which you need to maintain things. I think you have to have it has to be uh, usable. It has to be um, well, honestly, it just has to be usable, right? Like useful and usable. Yeah, I I agree with you that there's a cultural element to to whether something is kept or unkept. But I, was, I would also say that, that um, God is not a God of chaos. 
Right. So orderly, usable and orderly. Reusable and orderly. So, but again, what standard are we talking about? Because God's standard of usable and orderly is not the same thing as man's. I think that um, you know, a guy with uh, a beard, you know, like a lumberjack, <laughs> you know, sort of thing, like, is not um, any less godly because he's not metrosexual. Um, sure, sure. Which I don't know is metrosexual even a, metrosexual. Is metrosexuality here. even like a word now? Um, it's certainly. I know what you're talking about when you say it. So yeah, well, it comes from like the nineties. That's because of my past. Sure. sure. Um, right, but we're not talking about churches being metrosexual. We're talking about. Listen, if you've got if you if if your church is surrounded with grass. And the grass is never mowed, and you got weeds all over the place. Right. Um, if you don't want to cut the grass, then take it out. Right. You, like you, get rid of it all. Get rid of it all together. Yeah. Figure you know put a put in a parking lot or decorate it uh, in such a way that it's low maintenance or no maintenance. You know, like when I got older. Um, and I didn't want to mess around with my front yard anymore with having to mow it and all that nonsense. I seniorized it. Okay, so another. So let's talk. I seniorized it. I seen that's right. Okay, that's right. so let's let's talk about um, Thessalonica. I don't know. I don't personally know the layout. Have you Have you studied what Thessalonica was like in terms of the church there? They probably didn't have a building. No, probably meeting in no, someone's they were house. Meeting people's houses, but I don't know. Uh, is is that where is that where like the um, who? What is her name? It's not Priscilla. There's somebody who was uh, probably rich, like a lady that was really rich. In oh, the- I know you don't know. I think that was Ephesus. Okay. Well, in any case, like what, the dealer in purple, right? Yeah, the yeah the purple, yeah the dealer yeah. in purple. Um, so there there were some churches that were richer than other churches because they had patrons essentially who were rich, right. you know, because pur- she was a dealer in purple, and purple's like a big deal. Um, so and they probably met in giant houses like mm-hmm. mansions that belonged to somebody else. Yeah, that yeah. So. But I just was wondering this because he's talking like we're using this Western framework of having a building when we say a person should work, right? But that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about janitorial work within the church building. Well, there are other types of work that need to be done within the church. I'm just using that as a illustration for I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, ha- I'm taking the homiletics of it and saying. How would you apply that today? Right. And what I'm saying is I think that there's a bigger application here than just the, like, how people work in the church building. Oh, well, please enlighten me. Oh, okay. Well, I do think, <laughs> excuse me, I do think that the um, the church building is, there's too much of an emphasis on the church building, especially within the Western culture of the church, um, as if the church building is the church. And I think it would be tempting to say that this is talking about that. Oh, we've had that discussion before, and I agree with you. I don't, I'm not meaning to imply that. I'm just trying to come up with some practical things for people to grab onto. Right. So, But I think practically what this is talking about is the day-to-day like um, administration 
and you know that that sort of echelon of working within the church so that means like um the church had all sorts of benefits for its members it was like really kind of the first like uh ancient country club in in the sense that like if you had membership in it regardless of your um, particular status which i guess would make it not country club <laughs> but if you had membership in the church you know you were taken care of right and i think that what the church has always tended to do is sort of people well what people have always tended to do is when they find that sort of welfare they take advantage of it and so i think what you have here is people who were expecting to be taken care of without taking care of other people um and so that would include the administration of gatherings where food was you know where the feasts were going out but i think it also would include um like uh, administering to the poor administering to the sick uh the day-to-day -day task of evangelism so on and so forth and so from an administrative standpoint um, what would happen is that the the eldership, uh, the elders who were in charge of the uh, spiritual welfare of the church, would be talking to the deacons, who are in charge of meeting the physical needs of the local church body, and the deacons would work then with those individuals that are identified as not uh, contributing or being counterproductive in how it is uh, that they're functioning. Right. And so the deacons would find some type of a, a mechanism that they would use in order to identify, which, you know, in a local church, not hard. People know who's what, you know, in a local church. But, but not only would there be an identification, but then there would be a... a uh, an aggressive position of looking for ways to incorporate them into being involved in uh, building the body and not yeah. being busy bodies and not being lazy and not having false expectations of uh, how they fit into uh, the, as you stated, the, uh, the overall welfare program of the church. Right. And I, and I also think that it applies to people just doing their part in general. I think that the implication of the, the idea of busybodies is that you had people who thought that they were working, but their work was to get in other people's business. Right. And when I say to get in other people's business, I don't mean, um, I don't mean that they were interested in other people's affairs from the standpoint of like, you know, we're the church and we need to be there for each other. And this has like, you know, a responsibility. But what I mean is they think that it's their business to sort of govern everybody's activity, but their own. Um, and yeah, yeah. I think what Paul is saying is like, look, you have work to do. I have work to do. <laughs> like I'm a tent maker. Like I provide for my own. You need to provide for your own as well. And this is the work of the church, not just that we do we get into other people's business, because certainly I don't think that Paul had that ethic. I think he believed that everybody's business was um, everybody's business in terms of that we that it affects everyone. But also that the dynamic nature of that is that it is our role to be um, uniquely suited to living our life the way that we're supposed to, which is why Paul you know, was a tent maker because that's what he could give. He could provide for the church in that way, 
on top of providing preaching and so on and so forth. And so he didn't need people to get up in his quote-unquote business. Um, English is so difficult because it it implies, like it uses that term right? Just for just, everything. Just the translation of the language. The English is not exact in, in a lot of ways when it's translated. Yeah, it's all contextual. Right. So I think that there probably is a different word for speaking about what the church should be focused on. Business is probably not the right term in Greek. But, um, yeah, so I think what Paul is saying here is you need to do your own work within the body. That doesn't compromise or that shouldn't – the fact that you're doing your own work should not compromise the fact that you are participating in the body and being interdependent. But being interdependent is not the same thing as then you not doing your job. Right. Okay. So when we look at Second Thessalonians here in chapter 3, what is being specifically called out is that there were individuals who were simply not working. Right. And their expectation was that they were to be fed and cared for even though they weren't working or contributing to the well-being of the church. Yeah. And that's what the Apostle Paul is calling out. He's saying that's yeah. not acceptable and it needs to be dealt with. Well, and in verse 13, he has this statement. He says, do not grow worry, well, do not grow weary of doing good. And I think the implication there in connecting it with those thoughts is that there were people who simply were tired of the 24-7 of um, doing your job and then being involved in the church body. And so they just, they didn't want to. They wanted the benefit of it. And I think you have a lot of people who do that, uh, um, who who they want to be members of the church but don't want to give to the church. They would rather um, stay within their own bubbles. And I think that this is also an attack on that mentality as well that it's just simply not acceptable, that life within the church is a difficult life that requires people to struggle and to work on... Um, oh, Lucy Brown says it's Lydia. Yes, it's, it's Lydia. Um, the purple... The purple... Uh, right, right. Yeah, the purple lady. The, sell, the <laughs> seller of purple. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So it's it's just simply not acceptable, according to Paul. For you to live a life where you're using the benefits of the church without giving back to it, where you don't have a real place within the church where you're contributing to it, and that, and one where you are fed up with, with that to the point that now you sort of left your workstation and you're going about like sort of checking into what other people are doing instead. And distracting them from doing their work. And Paul's saying, look at me and look at the people around, whether it be, you know, Peter the fisherman, for instance. Like, th- like we do our jobs. Like, we work. And, and I, think that th- I think that that's the point that's being made here is it's simply not acceptable. Right. So, so he, he finishes his thought, as Josh said, you know, um, in verse 13, you know, don't, don't tire of doing what is good. But then he says, take special note of anybody who does not obey this letter. 
So the remember, so one thing that that maybe we haven't talked before, but just from the standpoint of helping people understand, um, what would happen is is when a letter would would be received, the letter was read to the whole congregation. So you know they they would read it to the congregation, and or then they would pass it around so that people could read it, so that the whole congregation would have access to it and know what is being said. So he said, you know, this letter here that I'm sending, take note of anybody who ignores it. Take anybody uh, note of somebody who does not obey and disassociate yourself with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So, you know, you're, you're, um, so you're going to set a standard for how you interact with people. And these people who have been acting inappropriately, they're basically being called out. And they're saying, you know, act like you're supposed to. You're being admonished to do that. And if you continue to not want to do that, then um, we are going to uh, disassociate ourselves with you. Not to, we're not gonna, we're not gonna make fun of you. We're not going to, uh, you know, put you in the stockade. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to treat you like an enemy, but we want to encourage you to participate for the betterment of everybody. Yeah, and the term there is simeo, the um, to take special note of, and it literally means to distinguish something by marking it. Right. So, um we're not talking about sort of a generalized sort of thing where it's like, you know, just kind of avoid those people. It's saying like, mark that person, like that person needs to like, like, like with the mark of Cain. <laughs> well, everybody, what's funny about the mark of Cain to digress for or, a second. Or... What's funny about the mark of Cain is everybody thinks that the mark of Cain is negative you know, like God marked oh, him. Oh no, no, negatively. it was positive. It was to yeah. protect him. But it was to protect him. Like yeah, God, yeah, like yeah. Cain was not marked because he was bad. Yeah. Cain was marked so people wouldn't kill him. So would this be like possibly <laughs> a justification? Now, now we begin to digress. Would would this be possibly a justification for people who w- would not obey and need to be marked that the they could get a tattoo? Um, they would put, <laughs> well put put a distinctive tattoo on you know like the, I think that it could be where I think <laughs> I think it could be where like the uh, A for adultery comes from. Oh yeah, like oh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody isogeted this scripture and took it to mean that we that we should physically mark that person. Um, but to get back to the actual with one of the seven, so there's seven deadly sins, right? And, and you get marked with uh, whichever one you're you're having yeah. an issue with. Yeah. yeah, I think that that F for fat I, or uh, well, or, it would be or, uh, or, um, uh, what is that? Gluttony. Gluttony. Yeah, gluttony. I knew so it was a G. Be, so that would be a G. I kept thinking Goro from uh, <laughs> Mortal Kombat because it's being being talked about a lot. Um, yeah, well, in any case, uh, maybe this is where those ideas come from. I don't know because this, um, word Sameo is only used in this in one this particular context, yes. passage. So yeah. this is the only place it's used. Yeah. Um, which, you know, 
coincidentally, it's telling you to take special note. So yeah. So um, but in any case, I think that it what it's saying is not necessarily to physically mark them, but it's it's letting you understand that it's letting you understand through wordplay that this is the type of mark that we're talking about where somebody physically appears different to you. Like it's like you don't just let them walk by without noticing this person is now different. And the distinguisher here is essentially that they are consumers of the body. They're not useful for the body. Right. Right. And, and that, and that, and so the, the Paul's uh, position is, is that that's, that's unacceptable and it needs to stop. Yeah, and also in the positive that there is an acceptable way to be, to perform, and that that's that we're supposed to behave differently than than this. And he even gives himself and his fellow church workers, if you can call them that back then, um, as an example of, hey, this is the way you should be. Don't right. be like this. Right. But I do think that we are too lenient on people who just need to straight up be told, hey, your attitude sucks. <laughs> like within the church, like well there's there's uh, culturally there's a uh, a streak of independence uh-huh. that runs through the culture and right. that, and that carries over into the church. Yeah. You know, and I it's it's an interesting balance that you have to seek to maintain. Uh-huh. Or uh, I know that you don't use the word you don't like the word balance. How about equilibrium? It's a it's a interesting equilibrium that you need to maintain. You should be productive within the body. You should be uh, contributing to the body. You should be a part of the meeting the needs of the body. Right. Uh, but uh, you don't need to put your nose in other people's business. Right. And uh, I don't, uh, I don't particularly allow people to put their nose in my business. I think that what it comes down to is the question of: Are you attending to what you need to attend to, and is where you're coming from in love? Well, yes, yes, absolutely. And and so the the and so the looking at this in that fashion, if you take. Uh, because Paul's other letters where he's dealing with other issues to different people, he talks about the fact that uh, the mark of a leader within the church is that the leader is to have his house in order. Right. And so th- you have to take all those elements together in your thinking in order to understand that you know discipline is to be done in love. The purpose uh, of discipline is not to punish. Right. But to um, to which might in, be a good segue. Which, yeah, not to punish, but to inform correction and to bring back into line uh, those who are out of line. Yeah, and there needs to be that that uh, appropriate equilibrium within the body. Okay, we're going to close this discussion right here uh, because uh, next week we're just going to basically uh, um, the apostle Paul is summing up. Okay. Uh, chapter three. So let's go ahead and let's uh, let's transition into uh, our next segment where we're talking about uh, the issue of uh, relationships. The- 
So in this case, the heart of the matter is we've been discussing the importance of relationship as they exist between parent and child. And today we just want to kind of sum up and bring to a close our discussion in regard to parent of child because we have progressed to the point uh, now that we need to discuss, which is probably one of the most difficult areas of relationship between parent and child, and that's uh, what do you do with a child that is, uh, that is older and what do you do as a parent of a child that is older. So first of all, let me point out that, that the, one, the one thing that does not stop is time. And like it or not, your children are going to get older. And in like fashion, you are going to get older if you're the parent. Yeah. So remember we talked last week, I hope you remember, we talked last week about the importance of understanding that what you should be going through, ideally what you should be going through is you should be going a transition uh, from being a, 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 um, a drill sergeant or a helicopter parent telling your child what to do and or rescuing them from the situations they get themselves into. You should have in your style transitioned to becoming a, uh, a, um, a conversationalist with your child where you're helping your child to understand choice and consequence. So choice, you're helping your children make their own choices. Choice doesn't mean that you make the choices. Choice means that you let you you learn to let your child begin to make choices. And ideally, this should begin to t- start to take place in the uh, preteen years. It can start earlier if you've got a mature child, but you should be working towards that. So because bec- here's here's the deal: life is all about choice. Life is all about if I if I were as a if a as a uh, a life coach, if I were to sit down with somebody who has issues, and many people do, I think you'd be fired. <laughs> I don't think you'd get past the first week before yeah, somebody somebody would say, "Wow, you're tough." Yeah. Um, but what I would focus in on is that um, life is about choices and learning how to make choices. And the people that I've dealt with, and just Josh is halfway teasing and halfway not, let but, but the people uh, remember my background was not only that I pastored a church for 20 plus years, but I was an enforcer for the internal revenue. And so is I that, is that their term, their official term, enforcer? The official term is a revenue officer. Okay. I'm pre- pretty sure they wouldn't. They wouldn't put it in those yeah. terms. I was an enforcer for the Internal Revenue. I would go out. That's and enforcers I, like the mafia. And I would go out and I would confront people about the fact that they owed taxes and what were they going to do about that. Right. And, and then I would provide for them uh, options and incentives. Oh, sounding more and more like the mafia as you talk. <laughs> as you talk. Options, so. options and incentives. Yeah. In order to uh, get it taken care of. So so you're my, like a professional bully. So my experience. Oh, no, no, not, not, not at all. Uh, my, <laughs> my, my taxpayers love me. Um, generally. 
So, so um, my experience has been that most people that have difficulty in life have so because they have made poor choices. Yeah. And, and, and that is a result. Now, now here comes the kicker. If I were just to sit back and analyze why that is true, it is because their parents have done them a disservice and have not helped to train them in how to understand and differentiate between those things that they do in life which are uh, productive or counterproductive to how it is that they want to grow and mature. And, and I know there's a lot to digest there, but the reality of it is is that um, choices become the position or the hinge position as to whether people are going to be successful or not in life. And, you know, you can go into a whole analysis then of, you know, do you do, uh, like I know you're real big, Josh, on going back and, and doing, uh, well, what do you call that, you know, where you, um, where you talk about what happened and... Uh, look at their proper attachment? Well, no, no, no. Well, you go back and you say, okay, so what happened? Did this, what, what worked? What didn't work? Oh, debrief. Oh, debriefing. Yeah, yeah. Josh yes. is big into debriefing, which is a good thing. Um, there but, is a lot of evidence that shows that, yeah, things along a dialectical yeah. uh, approach, you know, uh, work. The, the, the only pushback I would give, because I agree with you, but the only pushback I would give is just the the tendency with people in relationship is to believe i would just be careful about causation and correlation when it comes to um kids making bad choices because their parents were essentially bad at making good choices no no i didn't say that what i said was was that the parents did not teach them the dynamic of right. how to differentiate but, between but, good and bad choices but even then even then, Romans 1 is really clear that the reason why we continue to make bad choices is because we choose not to adhere to what is plainly obvious in Revelation, in general Revelation. And I think that that's, that's the thing. Like when a person decides to, um, to bypass what their parents didn't give to them, they can make good choices. Uh, oh, most definitely, and I wouldn't disagree so with that. So we just got to be careful. Because... Yeah, yes, I, I would agree that there are those anomalies of individuals that were presented with poor choices from their parents throughout, and yet they have been able to overcome that in Christ Yep, and to make good choices, myself being yeah. one of those. So I knew it was a point that you couldn't disagree with. Yeah, well, I can't because I'm, I'm living proof <laughs> of it. But but the reality of it is is so so choices, you know, teaching your child to make choices, and then helping them to differentiate between positive and counterproductive or productive and counterproductive choices, and then allowing them to wrestle with the consequence of choice either uh, to enjoy or to wrestle with uh, poor choices and not to rescue them. And so there's first the, the, the thing you have to teach them how to make the choice, and then you have to allow them to deal with consequence. And there are so many parents that have not broken free 
from the idea that they need to tell their children what to do. Yeah. And then they rescue them from the consequence of actions that they take or don't take. Well, I think that what you're dealing with a lot of the times is uh, is just the inappropriate perception of parenting right out the gate. And that's what causes it. You know, Pastor Monty talks about moving your your thought process from being um, uh, a hands-on or hands-off type of parent to being something in the middle, you know, more of a counselor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I would agree with that functionally. Um, I would agree with that from a mechanism-wise, right? But but there's multi-facets to the way that we perceive our responsibilities. There's the there's the presentation of it. There's the performance of it. There's the the patterns, the mechanism behind it, and then there's the perception of it. And in terms of parenting, the way that we parent should always be with an understanding that that child doesn't belong to us and that our responsibility is to make them like us. And when we say like us, what we mean is functional in being wholehearted toward God and tenderhearted toward men and useful in this world. The problem is is that most parents don't think of them that way. They think of their children as, as glorified corks. And what I mean by that is as a way to plug the holes in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So then these children grow up, you know, having to fill the hole, this, this vacuum, this cavity of insecurity where it's like, you know, I'm going to vicariously, as a parent, I'm going to vicariously live through my child. Oh, you see that all the time. I'm going to not, I'm going to give my child the experience that I didn't have or, you know, so on and so forth. Or I don't have this type of love. So now one of the sickest comments, if you ask me, that a a mother can make toward their child is this child is now the love of my life Um, and so on and so forth. You know, like these are impossible expectations. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for the child, they're impossible expectations to live up to. Yeah, and so what results from that is that is that when a parent has the perception of this, then they have to completely switch their perception and not just their function to being a counselor versus a drill sergeant or whatever, right? But if a person starts in understanding this child doesn't belong to me and my, my goal is is to essentially be a counselor to them. Even if they're, you know, uh, a baby, even if they're three, if they're whatever, you know, and, and I just have to wait until they're functionally able to engage with me that way. Right, right. Then you're going to have a lot easier time transitioning because your goal was always to be that. Right, and to bring them to the point of maturity that they can then function correctly in society. And that's... That's a, a, a point of contention that I have with kids all the time because I've been responsible for raising kids for a very long time. Um, a point of contention that I have with kids all the time when they're misbehaving is when they're old enough to understand it, I oftentimes will have a conversation with them where I reinforce this idea and I say to them, look, I don't want to have this conversation with you. I don't want to have to constantly be at odds with you because you don't know how to function in life. What I want is to be your friend. I want to be there for you, but this is what we're going to continue to do until you are capable of engaging with me in that way. So, you know, like let's not do this anymore. Right. Right. 
So, and, and so the direction that we're heading with this then is to understand that the parents, it, it is the parents' responsibility to, to develop in their own selves uh, the, um, towards, towards the transition that needs to take place in the relationship they have with their children. Because when you, when you have an adult child, here's the thing. When you have an adult child, you can you can tell that adult child whatever you're going to tell them to do, and they'll just blow you off. They they can they yeah. they they can and most likely do because even though if they agree with you, they will still personalize what it is that they want to do or not want to do. And I think one of the hardest things for adult parents is to is to uh, See their children doing things that they wouldn't do, in in either say something or not, or tell them what they need to do or not do, and have the child ignore them. And because when when somebody is now in an adult stage, they're going to be at, at they are going to be responsible for their own actions, and there are just times unless you're. Unless you're just filthy rich, um, you cannot rescue your child from every situation they get themselves into. I think a large portion of it is that parents have a tendency not to realize that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Well, that too. You might need to explain that little. And they um, get to the, they get, I actually don't know. I don't know. It's. You don't know what it means? I don't know. It's food prep. I know what it means. I don't know. It's food prep. Yeah. Etym- epistemology. What is yeah. it? Well, it basically means that if it's good for the goose, it's good for the. Yeah, I get that part. <laughs> it's saying you have to use equal it's, scales. Yes, I, that's I exactly always assumed, correct. I always assumed that it was talking about some sort of dressing, yeah. like for food. Like if you're gonna, if you're going to fix the goose up with this type of food, it's the same for the gander, which I assume is maybe a female goose or something. Or right, right, right. It is. Yeah, I uh, think so. Okay, you don't know what it means we'll either. Have... Okay, <laughs> talk on the kettle black. I, I don't. I don't use that one. Okay. Anyway, the idea is that you have to use equal scales. You can't be hypocritical. Right. You know, the pot calling the kettle black. The idea is that, that the, kettle, one I get. the kettle is black <laughs> as much as the pot is. Right. Yes, that's correct. So, but the the concept here, what I'm saying is, is that parents um, they spend their whole life telling their child that that they're not interested in their child's thoughts. And then when their child turns around and says, oh, I'm not interested in your thoughts either, then they're like, what? Yeah, they're offended. How they're, dare you? And yeah. it's like you taught the child to, to think, think that, that way. way. Yes, that's exactly Like why, why is that weird to you that you spent your whole life telling them that you don't care about their thoughts and then they tell you, I, when, now that I'm an adult, I don't care about your thoughts. Right. Like why is that weird to you? So I think it's really important to engage your child from the standpoint of, look, um, like mechanically, this is, this is what it is. If I say jump, you say how high. But I do care about your thoughts. And you have to figure out the rhythm of how you're going to approach that because you, what you can't do is argue with your child about the feelings they have when you yanked them too hard off the street because a car is going to come and hit them. Right. You know, and you can't, you can't like, you can't 
sit there and be like, now how does that make you feel, honey? Oh, wow. You know, yeah. when they're like crying about the fact yeah. that you yanked them hard, you know, you have to emphasize the fact that like, I told you to get off the street. A car almost killed you. Yeah. Say thank you. Yeah. Like it's, it's important for you to, to emphasize those things and to pick the right battles, you know? Yeah. So you have to figure out that rhythm with your child where you say, where you say that to them. And this is why I'm a big fan of debriefing, right? Because you take a child after the moment and you say to them, what did you think about that experience? What did you get from it? What can I take away from that experience that will help you get what I wanted you to get from it? And that's, that's the important part of it um, when it's a relational debrief is, oh, you thought that I was just being a jerk. Right. Well, I wasn't just being a jerk. I was being a jerk for a reason. Right. And I wasn't trying to hurt your feelings. So what can I do next time so that I don't hurt your feelings? But guess what? I still don't care functionally because I wasn't about to let you die. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're dealing with adult children, here's, I, I mean, we've just got a couple minutes James left. James says a gander is a male goose. So I, I think I was on the right track. Okay. Yeah. Goose and gander. So, so mm -hmm. here's, here's the thing. When you're Although in this culture, maybe that's not a great. It, okay. 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 <laughs> let's, let's not. I'm sorry. Pastor Monty wants to continue. Let's not complicate that even okay. more with this. A cis goose or a cis gander or whatever. <laughs> um, so the 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 idea is a gander is yeah. a cisgendered <laughs> patriarch <laughs> cisgendered patriarchy. Oh my goodness! You know, so so ge the, geese are white, right? Uh, not all, not all. <laughs> so only the bad ones. Oh, okay. okay anyway, so, so the uh, here's here's the deal. Um, Parents, I would just encourage you. This having a relationship with your adult child uh, can be challenging, particularly if you haven't if you haven't considered the things that we've talked about. And you hear stories about uh, Jewish mothers, for example. I'll just pick on Jewish uh, mothers. The cliche yeah, of the Jewish yeah, mothers. Yeah, the cliche of the Jewish mothers that they're always uh, trying to stick their nose into the. Uh, their children and telling them what they can do and what they can't do. And, and, you know, uh, I, first of all, let's just cut to the quick. I never, and I use the word never emphatically. I never tell my adult children what to do. He says that what I, what I, what I, <laughs> what I do is I observe what's happening in their lives and I say, you know, if they if they ask me or if I am observing something, I will say this is what I would do. Okay. But I don't but I don't tell them what to do. You generally don't phrase it in the positive. Well, I think that's what you're trying to do. You generally say this is what I wouldn't do. Well, I would not make that choice. Well, there's that too. I mean, there's, you know, look at your choice. I don't think that's a positive choice. Um, I think you're about to choose poorly. But yes, and I wouldn't do that for me and my... You are... A, you're somewhat of a yenta, which is what you're referring to. But you're not a busybody, and that's what that originates with. When he's referring to, like, the, the Jewish mother or yeah. whatever... Um, trying to uh, guilt their child into well, a decision. I, I will tell you that that's, one of the hardest. That's a yenta. One of the hardest aspects of being an adult and having adult children 
And so you're still the parent in that relationship. I don't stop being Josh's dad simply because Josh is now old and starting to get some gray hairs. I don't that I still continue to be his dad and he still continues to be my child. But I have to respect that if I have now listen to this carefully, if I have brought him up in the knowledge of the Lord and in in understanding his function within society, if I have brought him up as I am responsible to, then I should give some trust to the decisions that he makes. And even though I wouldn't do it the way that he's doing it, I have to allow him the freedom to take it as his own and to do it as his own. And and, uh, my wife and I try to do that. But I got to say, it's really hard. There are a lot of parents that struggle with this. Yeah. um, Sorry, I'm researching something. (laughs) Something you said has me wanting to research something. (laughs) Okay. Um, what I will say about that is two or second point to that or along with it is that there's a reference in there. Proverbs 22, right? Proverbs 22, six says training your child up in the ways of the Lord and yes. he won't depart from them. Right. Yes. So there's this idea of not simply the effort of man, but the promise of God. Yes. That God is saying, this is sort of the way that humans work. Okay. If you train them up in the right way, then they won't depart from it. And specifically in the godly way, the revelatory way, the way that, you know, is godly, then they won't depart from it when they're older is the, is the promise that they, you know, that they're, maybe they'll, they'll deviate a little bit, but they'll return to it. And so when you don't allow your child the freedom to deviate, Mm -hmm. then it's not simply that you're making a statement about your own parenting, but it's also making a statement about God and his faithfulness toward fulfilling his promise about the way that he designed people. Yeah. And so there is this act of faithlessness when parents will not let their children go. Mm-hmm. It's too little too late, guys. If, you, if you're at that point where you are where you're rightfully afraid for your child um, because of the character of the person that they're in, that they are, as opposed to say you're sending them off to war or something, a non-organic event that you can't control. Um, But if you're like literally afraid of the choices that your child will make, sorry, you should have figured that out when they were malleable. Oh yeah. Yeah. We used to tell our children when they were about to do something and we weren't, clear as how they would go we would tell them that we're just going to put them into the hands of the lord and it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living god yeah <laughs> you remember that yeah 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 we used to tell them that and so yeah. we would we would give our two cents. i say that to my children too yeah and so we'd give them our two cents about what they were going to do and we'd say you know this is how we would approach it but you're going to approach it the way you're going to and you're going to deal with the consequences too So, and we will allow you those consequences, believe me. Well, and I say to, and I say to my children, like, you think my consequences are bad? (laughs) You didn't live with your grandpa. (laughs) Like, you want my consequences now. Because my my son, he'll be like, Grace, Grace, give me Grace, give me Grace. (laughs) You know? And I'll be like, 
The Lord disciplines people yeah. he loves. Yes. You want my consequences because you don't want God's, God's consequences, consequences later. That's right. That's, right. that's exactly right. Okay, we're going to close this part of our discussion on relationships uh, in regard to uh, parents and children with just an encouragement that at the foundation of the idea of relationship between parents and children always is the understanding that God has given us our children as a gift Mm -hmm. and that our responsibility is to take that gift and to be pleased with that gift and to treat it in such a way that we glorify him through that process. And it is a long process. It is not a it is not a uh, birth until 18 years old process. Right. It is a lifetime process that you are to be involved in the life of your children and in, in, uh, to continue to help them uh, mature into what God would have them to be, those that love him and honor him and live in such a way that he be glorified. Right. Next week, we're going to begin talking about the relationship between husband and wife. Oh, are you not interested in doing uh, whatever it's called today? Oh, we are. We're, we've got um, a word, 60 seconds, though. Uh, so let me just do a real quickie here. Uh, you know, for those of you who like to go to restaurants and you have small kids, yep. oftentimes I've noticed that today it's popular for you to take food with you so that your kids can have their own food while you're doing whatever, while you're eating whatever. Oh, we do it all the time, but it's so that they can have more nutrition. And that's that's perfectly okay. Uh, there was a restaurant over in London, however, who took issue with the fact that it was a vegan restaurant and the mm-hmm. kids were eating a, a, a ham sandwich. Okay, well... And, and they, they, they kicked him out. I understand <laughs> they that. They kicked the family out. I get it. You know, because, you know, it's just bad, bad form. Well, yeah, because that that's a cultural thing, right? Yeah. That's like we we're trying to promote a specific culture. So it's disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad form. Yeah. Um, and I, so I guess it would be what's up with that on. Uh, I, I think more for the mother's part that she didn't think. Yeah. Okay. So you're, it's what's up with that on the on the family. Yeah. 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 I'm, I, I well, tend and to... then also what's up with that on going to a vegan restaurant? Yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I, I I'm trying to it. think. Is there a vegan place I like? <laughs> I okay. Know. Hey, you know what? They all closed in the pandemic. You and Michelle are in uh, are in the process of trying to figure out a name for your child. And yeah, and, which I heard that I heard that my mother weaseled out of my daughter. Well, you know, but she's going to keep it to herself. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a difficult process. <laughs> what do you name your child? There's just a, a whole thing out there. There was a couple over in uh, England that uh, all I have is from England today. There was a, a couple over in England that um, they were a, a Christian couple and they were having difficulty figuring out a name. Right, and so they were going to. So the the name that they had thought for their child had been taken by all their friends, mm-hmm. and they didn't want a child name their child what their friends were calling them. Right, but they still wanted to have the right attitude towards towards the names. So the father decided, and and so just context wise, they had tried to have a child earlier and the child was uh, stillborn they didn't it, it, it didn't happen mm-hmm. so they were thankful for this child that was coming along 
And so the father decided he was going to name the child Thanksgiving. Okay. And he didn't have a problem with that. Right, but the, the government but, did? But, well, the family, the family and everybody else got on his case about what are you doing to your child? That's that ridiculous. child will be that child will be harassed throughout not in her this, life. Not in this day and age. Well, you know, it's like you look like Frank Zappa calling his child Moon, or or, or there's some weird stuff Paltrow out there. and yeah. what's the calling their child Apple or uh, what's oh man Elon Musk Elon Musk named his child. oh yeah a really weird name yeah it's like it's uh, a number right yeah. it's some type of a number sequence or something yeah 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 yeah, yeah. No, so. So the guy relented. He, he made and, a joke about that on SNL this week. Or did he? Yeah, he yeah. said, uh, like, how to pronounce it. He said it it, sound, it pronounces as cat running over keyboard. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so. Um, At least he's self-aware. So I, I'm hoping that just as a, just as a grandparent, I'm hoping that you're not going to call your child Thanksgiving. I'm not. Or something of that nature. I'm considering changing the name now. I like, well, I like the idea of, if, if it's, I like the idea of Spiderella. Spiderella. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, let's close this up. Hey, ladies, I try to be on top of things for you. He's talking to the producers. Yeah. Well, not only the producers, but I'm just saying, ladies, my listeners, I'm trying to be on top of things for you. And do you know that there's a trend right now? That you do not have to waste your time buying um, razors in order to shave uh, the hair off of your legs. You can use 600 grid sandpaper. What? And accomplish the same thing. Is that real? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. And there's a there's a a group of people out there who swear by it. That uh, just use 600 grid sandpaper, and it'll remove that hair and keep it off. I don't even know. <laughs> That's. I mean, I guess I don't know what the only thing. The only well, the only bad like. part about it is is that is that um, you can't uh, you can't shave in the shower with the sandpaper. Oh my god! So if you really want to shave in the shower, you're going to have to continue to use the razor. But hey, if you want a permanent solution to shaving the hair off your legs, 600 grid sandpaper. I personally don't get shaving. And I just, don't either, but that's, you know. No, no, I, I personally don't get shaving hair just in general, like for women. It's a cultural thing. I don't, I'm not. I, it is somewhat of a cultural I'm thing. I'm not married I'll, to it. Although I will tell you, I will tell you that uh, I had a... Uh, Sixth grade substitute teacher <laughs> that uh, Here we she go. looked like a gorilla. Well, you know, maybe she I had mean, a pituitary gland issue. I don't know. I don't. You know, even in those days, I didn't judge. <laughs> okay, we're we're gonna. <laughs> I observe. I don't judge. I observe and report. <laughs> we, That's it. We're gonna close our session. I hope that uh, you've been blessed today. And uh, with that, we close our All right. time together. If you're someone who is seeking answers, you want to know more about your faith, if you're new to Jesus Christ or the Bible, you can check us out at abfpdx.org. That is where this show resides because we are part of ABF's Vigilance Radio Network, which is our online ministry that provides helpful and interesting resources for the church local and at large. If you're one of those who's enjoyed this service, remember to like, subscribe, share our podcast. Remember that you can find it on ABF's YouTube page. Uh, 
Facebook. Yeah, so take a second to do that, obviously. Check out some of our other programming. Um, we have this week, we have a new HeartScribe episode coming out. I'm going through the book of James, so it's a verse-by-verse study, so you can do that. We have uh, Culture Insanity. If you missed it, Pastor Monty and Pastor Adam were talking with Pastor Dave um, from Battleground, Washington about pop culture. Um, we have uh, the Bible with Pastor Adam for kids. We have all sorts of stuff that just got thrown up on the screen. So <laughs> take a look at that stuff and um, consider subscribing, consider supporting us. We don't have a lot of money, but we'll put whatever um, you can help us with to good use, even if it's a dollar. And uh, yeah, we'll be back on Thursday night. We're going to be talking about self-worth and self-esteem on the Nightlight Radio podcast. So Thursday night at 9.30, if you're somebody who has sort of um, issues with self-worth, self-esteem, if you've got questions about the biblical way to look at it, identity, all that sort of stuff, that'll be our penultimate episode for the season for Nightlight. Um, and uh, this show will be back uh, Tuesday. We do our shows on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. So until then, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer, and... Oh, I'm not your engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Co-host. Jasmine is... uh, (laughs) Our uh, engineer and producer over there is like looking at me like, excuse me? (laughs) So anyway, uh, I'm Pastor Josh, your co-host and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the